Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's the start of another week. It's a rather glorious day. It's a bit windy, mind you, so be very careful if you're walking around uh, carrying anything that might blow away, because it will blow away. Uh, it's that windy. We are, of course, well into the middle of March, the Ides of March. Uh, we've just had the Oscars. We won't be talking about that because uh, I didn't watch it and I'm not really very interested in it either. Thank you very much indeed. What I am interested in, however, is free speech. What I am interested in is Gary Lineker. What I am interested in is the BBC and also the police, who have been now told by Suella Braverman uh, to stop recording hate crime incidents or non-crime incidents that may involve or not involve hate. It's a very complicated scenario, this one, but basically I thought she'd already told them to stop doing it. Why didn't they stop doing it? Why are they still doing it? So we'll be talking about that. Claire Fox is here with us, uh, the Baroness, of course, uh, in from the House of Lords. We'll be finding out from her what she makes of the whole stramash that's been going on over the weekend with Gary Lineker. It looks very much as though uh, they've come to some kind of arrangement. But the arrangement they've come to would suggest that now Gary Lineker actually runs the BBC and Gary Lineker actually owns the BBC because it would appear that Gary Lineker will be back presenting Match of the Day next Saturday um, and he's going to be allowed to tweet about anything he likes, anyone, any time he wants. So basically, Gary Lineker has won. He might even be getting an apology for the BBC. I mean, is it any more craven and useless as an organisation? They might as well just disband it, mind they? I think, I'm going to say this, and I said it to Julie Hartley Brewer, I think he's going to be disappointed. I think he was looking forward to being sacked by the BBC so that, one, he could be a martyr to his cause, and he thinks he's already a cross between Mahatma Gandhi uh, and, uh, what's his face, um, um, Nelson Mandela. You know, that's what he thinks he is. And then he could have gone and made some real money somewhere else. But we shall see. 0344 499 1000. Peter Hitchens is also here. Uh, he wrote a great column at the weekend. We'll find out what he's talking about. We're going to talk about Prince Harry, uh, who is now going to appear, appear in the uh, next episodes of The Crown. They said they weren't going to do it, but now they are going to do it. Adam Coleman is here with us. Tim Luckhurst as well. Loads going on. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I've just been uh, handed a piece of paper in which it says, um, BBC Director General Tim Davey apologises again for the loss of BBC sport programming over the weekend. He says, everyone recognises this has been a difficult period for staff, contributors, presenters, and most importantly, our audiences, which went up, by the way. Uh, I apologise for this. He also says there is a potential confusion caused by the grey areas of the BBC social media guidance that was introduced in 2020, and he wants to get matters resolved and our sports content back on air. He also goes on to emphasise how impartiality is important to the BBC and the public as a whole, noting that the corporation has a commitment to impartiality in its charter, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, there we are. So, um, Claire Fox is here, Baroness Fox. Very good morning to you. Good to be here. Now, um, it was quite a weird weekend for BBC Sport. I happened to watch Match of the Day with no commentary. It was quite an odd experience, you know. They just kept playing one sort of set of, of highlights of a game after another with no link in between, nobody talking. It was really quite strange and surreal. Yeah, completely surreal, and there's no doubt about it. The match of the day without the commentators won't really work. I don't think I, so. I mean, I, I know that people keep saying, oh, half a million more people, but that was just for novelty factor, wouldn't yeah. it? Everyone was just watching to see oh, you what they watch, did. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that every week, yeah. would you? I mean, I'm prepared to watch it, and I wouldn't normally watch it just mm. to see what happened. But um, we like, you know, we like news. I'm interested in news. But if we didn't have commentators like you, we wouldn't bother. You know what I mean? Well, like exactly. you, you can't just have the news on, right? right. So you, you, commentary matters. Um, the reason why I suppose I'm just like really torn on this one and have been all weekend. Mm. Um, the main thing I think is that impartiality 
in the BBC has become a massive issue in news and current affairs, yeah. which is what I'm interested in. Yes. I do not trust the BBC's news and current affairs as an impartial source any longer. I really don't and that's care. Their fault. Oh, completely. Mm. And that's where I want our focus to be. I really don't care if they're talent or impartial. Yeah. I don't care whether the presenter is strictly or the presenter of Match of the Day has obnoxious views. And so therefore mm. I think that they made a mistake because I think the BBC did turn him into a martyr by standing him down, yeah. as in Lineker. Don't get me wrong, you know, what Lineker said um, in relation to the 30s Germany point is now become a well-known way of insulting major swathes of the yes. British public who care about immigration. Right. Lineker started this, you know, around Brexit. Oh, yeah. And that's when I started to but notice this, this it. Is, but this is an interesting development for me as well, because there's a certain left-wing agenda that goes on, fuelled by certain individuals, of, of which Lineker isn't really one, because he's not really a political animal, but he kind of parrots what these people yeah, tell him. Yeah. Alistair Campbell, for example, put out a tweet uh, talking about how the BBC's cancellation of some orchestra was exactly what they did in mm-hmm. Nazi Germany. Uh, where they actually murdered people because they were musicians. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. I mean, the thing that's... Just to note, uh, the BBC cancelling the BBC singers Mm. is an act of cultural vandalism. And I wish, actually, that we'd spent all our time criticising the BBC for the fact that Mm. they can't hold on to their orchestra. They probably think it's too elitist, classical music and all that, right? right? Whereas, actually, and they say it's part of the cuts, reorganisation... But in fact, they're prepared to spend that much money on the talent yes. like Lineker. So, I mean, you know, Campbell drawing attention to it as though it's Nazi Germany is ludicrous. Of course it is. Because it's uh, actually much more part of the BBC trying to get it down with the youth or whatever. But uh, this is, but dumping this is what its passes fine now. tradition yeah. of support for classical music. Yes. And but this is what passes for political comment now. We, and yeah. I call it a sort of, uh, it's almost like Trump derangement syndrome. It's because yeah. they, they, these people like Campbell, so vitriolic about the Tories, that he, is, he has come to, to, to kind of uh, have almost a complex about them, and an obsession about them, and he has to keep referring to them as if they are the most hideous individuals yeah. on earth. I mean, it's a very dangerous situation because you're actually relativising Nazi yeah. Germany and the Holocaust right. in the course of doing this. What you're actually saying is the kind of politics you don't like, which are the Tories or their Im- immigration policies or things you want to uh, attack, you call on the Nazi fascist point, you actually insult the memories of the millions of who were slaughtered mm. by Nazi Germany. Right. You're historically illiterate because that's not, you know, there's no relationship at all between what's happening today mm. and then. Um, and so you're missing the point anyway. Right. And the important point about... And I you're mean, you're, you're cheapening the argument, you? are you? completely. And there are, you know, there might well be a time when fascism's on the rise, right? The British Tory party ain't it. No. And you, you, can, you can object as much as you want to their immigration mm. policies. I mean, I... Um, think that they have not done by any means enough to deal with the small boat situation. No. I don't necessarily think this illegal immigration bill is it. No. And I, might, and I like, might want to criticise it, mm. but I do not want to get into a situation where you can't have a rational conversation right. about how you actually control your borders, why everybody in those boats are not refugees mm. as they claim to be, right. and that's not impugning their reputations. No. I mean, they it's might well be young lads... 
wanting to no. have a better life. Well, I, said this I the don't other blame day. them, right? I, I said this the other day. You know, like the BBC, the, the small boats problem for, for the government is one of their own making because they've made it easy for people to come here that way. And yeah. everyone who does come here that way eventually stays. But I said, I think surely now we can at least all agree whether you want to call them whatever it is you want to call them, most of the people coming on those boats are coming here for a better life. They're not coming here because they're fleeing yeah. persecution or war. Exactly. They just fancy but, living here. And we, we don't want to be in a situation, I'm not going to condemn them for doing that, because if you thought, if I get onto UK shores, I can stay, right. why wouldn't you do it, why right? Yeah. But the main problem is the way that the British public who are concerned about this are gaslit mm. by all these people who say, how dare you say that? They're fleeing war and persecution. Yeah. Anyway, the point being that we need to have that conversation out in the open maybe we need different attitude to economic migration yeah. maybe we've got to talk about whether there should be some more legal safe routes i mean i think that's a possibility because the government's position is slightly untenable yeah. at the moment i don't think that's the answer actually but that's another story but I mean, that's another story but that's a conversation mm. we should have you can't have the conversation if when you raise it you're called a nazi yeah and so lineker did what lineker does and has been doing since actually the referendum, which is, as you say, he takes the talking points that are kind of popular mm. in terms of closing down debate, delegitimising the opposition. He puts it out because he's got so many followers, it causes a huge furore. I just am worried about the fact that because he's been turned into a free speech martyr, he ends up looking good out of it, which is very annoying. And I also never want to be in a position where I give any sucker to those who support cancel culture. Cancel culture is slightly different to a normal free speech thing. Mm. It's where you call for people to be sacked because of their views. Yes. So I just don't ever want to give that no. any credence. And actually, uh, you expect me to disagree with you here, but I'm not going to because I never called for him to be sacked. I didn't ever think he should right, be sacked right. for it. I just thought that what the BBC should do is stop treating him as if he's something special, as if he's the only one that can do yeah, what he yeah, does, yeah. as if he's the only one that can say. The latest, by the way, from the website of the BBC, uh, from Tim Davies, says, Gary, uh, they're going to be basically having a, um, a review of their uh, policy on social media and on the guidance with particular focus on how it applies to freelancers. Um, and while the review is taking place, says Tim Davey, Gary has agreed to abide by the guidance. Well, right. there's the thing. There we go. So there we he go. can actually do that. It's quite feasible that he is possible. I actually thought he looked slightly shaken yeah. when he came out or when he was being doorstepped. Well, if I mean, he might not yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, for all, for all that he's had a huge amount of support from the great and the good, Actually, one of the difficulties we've had recently is that football, which is one of the most important parts of British culture, let's be honest, for millions and mm. millions of people, has been mired by politics over recent years. Mm. You know, we've seen all that happen a lot. Yes. And a lot of football fans are not necessarily keen in having their sport dragged into all this. Mm. So one thing that Gary Lineker does have to recognise is that he might be very popular with a certain political set for what his views are but he also has to retain the support of football fans exactly who need to actually think that he's a credible football commentator yes and I know that, he, I mean, that act of solidarity by his mates, Ian Wright. Well, I must admit... What I, a disappointment that was. I mean, I never know. had Alan Shearer down as um, as a raging lefty who was uh, anti-Tory. I love Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer. I was a bit disappointed. Well, I was amazed that he stood down because I thought, I'll tell you what, the one guy who won't do that is Alan Shearer. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but they all did. But, but the, the act of solidarity, you know, when it comes to free speech, there's, every week there's a free speech story. Those kids who you know, actually uh, in Wakefield, who got death threats and then got threatened with the police because they scuffed a Koran. I know it sounds silly, but I really would have liked Alan Shearer, mm. Ian Wright, even Gary Lineker, mm. 
to have come out in solidarity with them. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Why, absolutely. Why is it, or indeed anyone who's in the firing line, mm. who comes under fire for what they say, you would like to think that they were real free speech activists. No, they're, they're not. not. But of course they're not. No. So one, one of the things that's very annoying is to be lectured about free speech from people who've never shown the slightest interest in anyone else being sacked or disciplined well, or somebody, shouted out for their As somebody views. pointed out over the weekend, it would not be at all surprising, would it, to find that all the people who were demanding that Gary Lineker should be able to say what he wanted were the ones who wanted Jeremy Clarkson fired. No, exactly. You know, well, it's, that's it's, the world we live in. It's actually interesting because uh, I had a situation where quite a number of people said, oh, where's Claire... Oh, this is on social media, obviously. Where's Claire Fox now? Some of them, by the way, rather big accounts. Mm. Where's Ms Cancel Culture oh, yeah. now supporting Gary Lineker being kicked off the BBC? I said, well, I never did. Haven't. Read my timeline. In other words, it immediately turned into a very partisan mm. thing, which was they wanted to get you on the, oh, yeah. gotcha, you normally support mm. free speech, but not in this instance. And I was like, why don't you read what I said rather yeah. than making it up? Exactly. In other words, well, it had nothing to do with that. It was a kind of real black and white, whose side are you on, in a very unpleasant but fashion. But isn't it a bit unfortunate that that's the way everything seems to have gone now? I mean, you can't have a conversation rationally, really, no. with anybody. And this show is pretty rare because you can actually do it on this show. Yeah, you can yeah. actually, you know, have two people disagreeing. Um, without absolutely hating each other, which I think is rather rather good. I think we're rather proud of that. But stay where you are. We've got to take a little break. Um, Baroness Fox is here. We're going to talk about hate crime and the possibility that you might have committed one. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I'm delighted to be able to bring you Gary Lineker's tweet as of 10 past 10 this morning. Uh, it's taken us a little while to find it because uh, not only has he blocked me, uh, he's blocked the entire network. And Talk TV has also been blocked by Gary Lineker, that free speech advocate from the BBC. Uh, he says this, and you can read it on screen if you're watching. After a surreal few days, I'm delighted that we have navigated the way through this. I want to thank you all for the incredible support, particularly my colleagues at BBC Sport, for the remarkable show of solidarity. Football is a team game, but their backing was overwhelming. I've been presenting sport on the BBC for almost three decades and am immeasur immeasurably proud to work with the best and fairest broadcaster in the world. I cannot wait to get back in the match of the day chair on Saturday. A final thought, however difficult the last few days have been, it simply doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution or war to seek refuge in a land far away. It's heartwarming to have seen the empathy towards their plight from so many of you. We remain a country of predominantly tolerant, welcoming and generous people. Thank you. Thereby proving that he can't help it. He's literally addicted, isn't he? That's that, the most annoying. You know, it was entirely unnecessary. Tim Davey has said that during the independent um, review, yeah. he will agree to abide by the guys. Now, he'll say, oh, well, I'm just tweeting about some poor people coming on a boat. No, you're not. You're tweeting about politics, man. Exactly. That's politics. Uh, first of all, he doesn't know what politics are. And secondly, no. I think it's really important, this... Why is there never any empathy shown to the people who feel abandoned about the fact that, for example, in their local area, suddenly out of nowhere, there's an influx of people who are put into accommodation, into hotels and so on and so forth, and they're feeling discombobulated yeah. by that. They're worried about their communities. That doesn't mean you have no empathy for the refugees, but why doesn't he mention both? Right. You want to be fair right. and balanced. Right. Say, I understand the concerns here. I feel for the fleeing yes. refugees there. Well, I mean, he that said would be last week, right? didn't he, you know, I'm standing up for those who don't have a voice. Well, there's a lot of people who don't have a voice. There's, a there's people who sleep on the streets of this country who don't have a voice. There's homeless veterans. There's people yeah. who come out of the army and have uh, PTSD and they can't find anywhere to live. There's all manner of people who don't have a voice. He doesn't yeah. have to look at people coming on dinghies to find them. Yeah. 
anyway, it's irritating. It is. Um, let's, mo- let's move on. Let's move on. Shall we? Because I'm getting this irritated. Show. I'm not having you ordering me around. But, but feel free. <laughs> no, listen. Um, Suella Bravman orders police today to stop the Orwellian recording of the names of those accused of non-crime hate incidents. I thought they already had stopped. So this is a really important story because the College of Policing, first of all, we should all know, it sounds very official, it's just a quango. Right. But it's really a dangerous quango on occasion. Yeah. Talk about not impartial. It's got well, one of the great things about quangos now is that they change the name to confuse you so that you think it's some kind of, you know, amazing organisation, yeah, but actually it isn't. But on the other hand, they set down guidance, which the police follow um, diligently, and it was they that introduced this notion of non uh, crime hate incidents yeah. and to remind us what they are is when somebody anyone says that something you say is a hate crime yeah. right there's no evidence for it right. they don't need any evidence the police are even advised that they don't have to investigate it they have to write it down because you complained so just to use the example i could say that gary lineker has committed a hate crime by yeah. his tweet if I went to the police, they'd have to write it down, mm. right? And then they record it. They don't have to investigate. I could just say, I'm offended. That was a hate crime aimed at me, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Um, so, of course, it's an absolutely Orwellian, draconian nightmare. So, Suella Bravman and the government, actually, after a House of Lords debate in which myself, uh, Lord Daniel Moylan spoke, and we made this point... And we won. We thought, great. Mm. Harry Miller's been a hero in this, former police officer yes. who brought it to our attention uh, nationally. Because if you end up on the database with one of these non-crime hate incidents, right. when you're going for a job, yes. somebody can find out. And, and nobody, you don't even know you're on no, it, No, nobody's right? told you you're on it because they're, they're under no obligation to under inform no you, are they? But they keep the records. Mm. So we thought it had gone away. And then we discovered... They hadn't gone away. And the reason why that's important is because I think so often you think something's been dealt with in this Mm. country. You hear an announcement made and then effectively the College of Policing just ignored it or the individual police forces ignored it. According to this piece in the Times, the College of Policing did update its guidance last year but, says Suella Braverman, the system isn't working. Yeah, in other words, they didn't police their own guidance. They policed it before and the reason why it's come to the fore again is those kids that I mentioned in Wakefield. Children were put on the database for a non-crime hate incident. And Suella Braverman, because of the fuss that's been made around that, by, by the way, people like Talk TV, Mm. you've actually drawn attention to what happened in Wakefield. Those children were now removed from that. I mean, they've had death threats. It's been terrible. They've been called bigots, all sorts of things, because they had a fight. And the police and a didn't seem got to scuffed. know what to do, did they? The police actually behaved as though they had committed a crime. Yeah. Because even though then they don't persecute the crime, it's a non-crime yeah. hate incident. Because imagine the scene, and I'm, you don't have to imagine it, because this is what actually happened. A police officer goes, and a senior police officer goes and holds a press conference um, inside of a mosque, right? Uh, in which he declares that we're not going to pursue this as a serious crime. What? Yeah. Well, of course you're not going to pursue it as a serious crime, because it isn't. I know, but then his, uh, you know, those comments are made in front of the mother of one of the children, who's yeah. autistic, as we know, who's crying, yeah. who's upset, is humiliated, yeah. forced to apologise. It was like those kind of, you know, hostage situations mm. where you're forced to yeah. say what you don't believe, right. you know, completely terrified, knows that her life is on, you know, is, is going to be disrupted because her kid's been called a bigot. All of this was a terrible scene. So the police now have at last, or I hope, that the political 
class because I do think that politicians sometimes say things and then don't bother checking, mm. right? So now, so well, I think it probably was Pretty Patel who dealt with this previously, but you can't just assume it will happen because such is the atmosphere in the police that actually they believe that they should be holding. Uh, taking records of these non-crime hate incidents. And the worst thing about it is, the inference is, if somebody says you're a bigot, you are a bigot, you'll get it written down, and they think you're about to go and launch a kind of, I don't know, uh, uh, Islamophobic pogrom the next day. I mean, they really genuinely think that they are looking at would-be... Uh, you know, hate criminals properly, terrorists, people who are racist and vile because somebody has complained that somebody said something offensive. It's a very dangerous situation we've got into And also, I'm not entirely sure that this new guideline, uh, this new uh, language is going to make much difference. Have a listen to this, right? Under a new draft code of practice laid before Parliament, which will happen today, police will only record non-crime hate incidents when absolutely necessary. Well, you well, just know exactly. Well, I who's know. going to decide that? The I guidance know. says this. Uh, all efforts should be made to avoid a chilling effect on free speech, including but not limited to lawful debate, humour, satire and personally held views. New safeguards are intended to ensure that personal data may only be included in a non-crime hate record, if the incident record, if the event is clearly motivated by intentional hostility. Yeah, you see... Uh, you see, can that's s- too woolly for me. Far too woolly. But also, even the phrase legal speech, you'd think would be very clear you know those illegal speech but you see hate crime itself as an illegal speech is very ambivalent because it's very subjective yeah if you actually look at what constitutes a hate crime and i mean that is breaking the law Mm. you'll find that it also is informed by what somebody says that they think is hateful right and the police are much i mean the threshold for proving that crime is very low. So I, I do worry that this won't make a slight no, bit of difference. No, Well, I mean, I do say, and I have said about this government, uh, despite the fact that many people say you never ever go at the Tories, I constantly have a go at them. Everything they do is like what I call shop window politics, you know, like the Belfast uh, Agreement, the Windsor Framework, yeah. you know, looks good when you start scratching the surface, looking at it, it doesn't really change anything. Um, same with the, the small boats policy. Stop the boats, they say. Well, they won't, and they haven't, and they can't. Not with this. Um, and now this... You know, it's all, it all sounds like something that's a good idea, but actually doesn't change anything. Well, I, I, I've often come on and argued about laws that they've, um, they're about to bring in, and people will say, yeah, but surely you don't want to have those protesters, you know, those just stop oil protests. And I say, you should see what they've written in the bill, yeah, right? right? They have a headline, which you can go along with. Mm. You then actually look at what's going to be passed, and you think, I can't let them get that through, because mm. that'll have the wrong impact on yeah. the wrong people, right. and not... Deliver on the headline, and so I think that you're right. Scratch the surface, and it's not quite as it seems. I think that they haven't actually got the courage to see a lot of this through. But there's another problem, which is institutions like the police, like the civil service, like lots of institutions that we know. It's almost like they ignore the government, Mm. you know. So the Suella says this bit of a woolly phrasing. College of policing, not in a wink. Mm. You know where we are, boys yeah. and girls. We are on the side of the virtuous and the good. Yeah. We are not going to let these non-crime hate incidents go unpunished. Right, but for the purposes of the 6 o'clock news, Sarilla Bravman has changed the world. Exactly. Thank you very much indeed. It's easy, isn't it? Um, Claire Fox, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to Charlie White from the Suns Football uh, Department. We'll find out what he makes of the latest uh, climb down by the BBC and how Gary Lineker is going to go forward without being able to tweet about politics. Well, he's already broken it, to be honest. This is Talk TV. <laughs> 
breaking news this morning just before we started the show uh, was that the BBC and Gary Lineker have managed to come to some kind of accommodation. Uh, Tim Davies says that uh, they're going to have an independent review of how exactly social media guidance should be handed out um, in the future. And in the meantime, uh, they've said that Gary Lineker will, of course, uh, adhere to the guidance. But I'm sorry to say he's already broken it. Let's talk to Charlie White, football editor of The Sun. I mean, you forgive me, Charlie. I looked on the back pages this, uh, this morning and saw that you were actually at the Arsenal game. Uh, it must have been quite nice just to cover a football match rather than all this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it was. A, a, you know, a, a, absolutely. It's been a, a mad few days, isn't it? And as you say, it's. Uh, I don't think when Gary Lineker did that tweet, any of us could imagine that we'd have four or five days of turmoil yeah. in the game, really. Uh, it's just un- unbelievable, isn't it? And as you say, match of the day lasting 20 minutes. And I've been getting calls from journalists from around Europe actually asking about the situation we mm. have to be stressed here this isn't just a story that's remained inside the UK this right. has become a really big story yeah well the Premier League is a massive um, sort of event every single week isn't it all over the world and and I mean I must admit I was saying this morning I think Gary Lineker might be a bit disappointed this morning because I think he was hoping he'd be fired so he could go off and work somewhere else and make even more money and then he could be a martyr as well to the cause yeah there's you're, you're certainly spot on that he could earn um a lot more money, or even yeah, even more money than he does already at the BBC. Look, I, I think lots of people would think that you know he's won. I think ultimately the BBC have had an absolute shocker. Oh, they have uh, totally. Yeah, um, I think Lineker, in hindsight, I still think probably regrets it. Um, he'll never admit it. I think he took it a bit too far. Yeah, we can we can go round in circles, can't we? About yeah. in, in terms of you know he shouldn't have done it. He's broken rules. You know he's done it. On his on his own Twitter, not on air. Look, we could, yeah, there are grey areas, but uh, yeah, ultimately, I don't think anyone's come out of it particularly well. No, and- I mean certainly at one point on Saturday, I was actually at the rugby watching uh, England getting tonked by France, which was a pretty unedifying experience as well. Um, by by sort of Saturday afternoon, I was beginning to wonder if the BBC Sports Department would actually have anybody left in it come Monday. It's just you know it, 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 incredible, wasn't it? And you, you know, I think I think by the way. Um, Respect to some of the commentators on Five Live, who, although maybe agreed um, with what Lineker had done, insisted on still doing the commentary yeah. to make sure that listeners were able to... Because they've had a lot of abuse. And, and some of these journalists I know are very good uh, broadcasters. And they felt that they still had to do their job and do the commentary so people in the cars would still be able to listen. And I think they're worth a mention. Yes, I think I so. Think some of the, the rubbish they've had on social media, and it's been absolutely disgraceful. Because let's not forget, you know, it is a public service. It's a public service broadcaster, therefore it's supposed to serve the public. It's not supposed to serve the needs of individual former footballers who think, oh, I'll make myself look good by going on strike, just like they do in every other public sector organisation, you know? I, I think they did it, a, a lot of them, around, um, across the field, because they knew it would only be a... A one weekend job. Yeah, because they often need the money. I mean, you know, yeah, Gary Lineker was fine. We all, we all know, and there's obviously other excellent uh, broadcasters and presenters who didn't work at the weekend who right. would be all right. But there are quite a few of them, uh, in my opinion, um, that would probably and and some of the pundits uh, and others a who struggle to get work, and of course, I also feel really sorry for a lot of the freelance people who work behind the scenes. Yes, a on on great money. And 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 
and, and B really need that work. Mm. So I think it's a good job. Well, I mean, if, I mean, the, 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 the inner workings of the BBC never cease to amaze me. As you say, they've had an absolute mayor and they've had a terrible, terrible. Sort of every decision they've made has been the wrong one. It seems to be, aside from trying to get it all back into 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 place. But in any other organisation, even another media organisation, dare I say, if loads of people decided not to come into work. There'd be some sanction for that, wouldn't there? And there'd have to be some kind of um, repercussion. It appears there isn't one. I, I, I think, again, if it was a one-off, depending on the circumstances, I, I think that's difficult to, to judge. You, you, you might be right. Um, but as I said, it was only ever going to be a... Um, you know, we weren't in sort of to the realms of train strikes here. Um, it was only going to be a one-off. Um, and I think it's a pretty good job. Um, that that's the case because it's been embarrassing for all of us. Uh, say, go, you know, going back to what I was saying about overseas journalists calling us up, you know, none of us have come out very well. We've looked a bit of a laughing stock, haven't we? Sort of, you know, English football fans, the media, the Premier League. I think all of this, um, and you know, you could go back down to the fact what Gary Lineker wrote. You know, he knew what he was doing, even yeah. though he was saying it was only the the, la- the same language of the government. He still knew what he was. Writing, he yeah. knew exactly what he was writing because he's in the yeah. pocket of the likes of Alistair Campbell, um, the former spin doctor for the BBC, who I found out at the weekend does a podcast for Gary Lineker's podcasting company. So it's all a little bit kind of um, what you might call incestuous. It's all you know, they're all he so he hangs around with these lefties who are particularly hor- horrible about the Tory government. It's just a fact, and that's where he gets his sort of political views from. But I mean, the other thing that I find interesting, really, as well, is that. Um, as he does go back in, and he does say that he's going to adhere, apparently, to the guidance on social media, um, his first tweet out uh, includes a passage, uh, a quite a big chunk of it, um, about the actual people coming here illegally. So he's could already, he bro- he's it, already right? broken it, hasn't he? Yeah, look, he, could, he, could, he couldn't resist it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, ma- ma- I, I can only assume he's done that and we probably won't see those sort of tweets again. He's obviously decided to have the final say on yeah. the condition of probably going a bit easier. Um, but again, you, you know, the, the way people look at us from outside, the fact that, you know, there's footballers and managers refusing to talk to the BBC yeah. and, you know, the BBC not being able to use the, the world feed, which is sent to the whole world with commentators on... Um, it's a shambles, and it goes back to the BBC for totally misreading the situation. Mm. You know, they, they, yeah, they they know that you know they, they know Gary Lineker's a very strong personality, and they know that yeah you know, the way that he is, you know he's loved you know by his peers. So the BBC really, I cannot believe the amount of people, the layers of management at that organisation, mm. and the amount of you know press officers and head of communications. There'll be all sorts of people working in that department mm. that. A, I think maybe they were giving guidance and the people at the top were not listening. I think so. I don't want to be unfair yeah. to the journalists working for the BBC who were probably telling the, the board, this is a disaster, right. don't do this. Right. There's, there's a chance of that as well. Uh, but uh, as I said, it's shambolic. Yeah, because it would be interesting to find the real truth of what happened every day last week because just the day before he was suspended, he had put out a tweet in which he more or less said, well, it's all died down, I'm glad it's over, I'll see you on Saturday for Match of the Day. Uh, so something happened between that period of 24 hours, and I don't know what it was. And, and you know, that, that that period there, what's been said today could have been done then, couldn't yeah. they, and, and come to some sort of arrangement. Right. Um, but as I say, BBC have totally misread um, everything, and they've just also, they've created a divide, haven't they? But they, they you know, they, did they not realise by, by doing this 
that there would be would create a huge split that didn't necessarily have to be there of people that agreed with Lineker and the many that didn't agree mm. with him. Um, it was just totally unnecessary and really foolish. And I think it's quite worrying that, uh, again, an organisation at BBC, something pretty basic level PR have got this massively yeah. wrong. Yeah. It shows you what else they've got in their locker for more important things. Well, it also tells you in the future, when you ask the question, who not so much who runs the BBC, but who runs BBC Sport, the answer is Gary Lineker. Look, well, you know, m maybe, or certainly those at the top aren't right at the top of the BBC. Beyond, I, I think this was beyond those at BBC Sport. I, th I think this was one, you know, for, for the actual board, um, because he's such a big figure. I, I'm not sure what BBC Sport could really have done other than give their advice to the management of the BBC who probably ignores it anyway. Mm. So I, th I think the issues are probably further up the, the food chain. Yeah, absolutely right. Charlie, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Charlie White, the football editor of The Sun, there talking about the fallout, not just uh, around Britain uh, because of the match of the day sort of cancellations that went on and the various football managers that didn't speak to the BBC. I mean, it was an extraordinary weekend for football in this country. As Charlie said, uh, the focus on the, from the whole rest of the world of football was on Britain because of what had happened. How very, very odd. Graham in Hampshire says, Mike, in my opinion, Gary Lineker is entitled to his view. I don't agree with him, but rather than parroting what his lefty mates tell him to say, how about inviting him in so that you can challenge him on his views? I bet you 50p he would decline the invitation. Well, funnily enough, I did invite him in last week. Uh, so far, I haven't heard back. I don't think he'll be talking to me anyway. I think if he talks to anyone on Talk TV, he'll talk to Piers Morgan. But it doesn't bode that well, does it, if in fact he has um, blocked the entire station. What can you say? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's the start of another exciting week in the dangerous world of international journalism, journalism as I used to call it. Peter Hitchens is here with us. We'll be talking through his column at the weekend, uh, which inevitably resulted in the lefty pylon that quite often happens on Sundays. They all seem to have lots of time on their hands on Sundays to pick apart anybody that they don't like. Um, I'm delighted or, or to... Not or, or not, not pick, pick apart, or attempt to pick apart, just, I suppose. Just pelt with slime. I was delighted yeah. to find myself in a roll call of... Uh, names of people uh, in The Guardian at the weekend. Um, they, uh, Gary's Lineker's Defenders and Detractors, and I'll give oh, you right. the list in a minute. Okay. Um, but yeah, Peter Hitchens, of course, uh, was writing uh, this week in The Man on Sunday about basically this kind of mad rush to compare Suella Braverman's small boats policy with Nazi Germany, what, which is the tweet, of course, that got Gary Lineker into so much trouble. Just to update anybody who doesn't know, um, Gary Lineker apparently uh, will be reinstated by the BBC, who suspended him last week for the tweet, uh, and basically they're going to have a review of their social media policy, during which time uh, Gary Lineker won't be tweeting, presumably, about politics, although he sort of already has uh, in his new tweet, saying thank you to everybody, and also talking about the plight of those people on those small boats. So the pantomime continues, Peter. Very good morning to you. Well, it does. I think the great revelation of the past few days is how few people watch Match of the Day, though, isn't it? <laughs> I, well, more of them watched asked, it. If anybody had asked me, I thought it would be 10 or so million. Well, I, you see, I think all television has gone from what used to be tens of millions. Yeah. You, you remember the days when things like EastEnders got about 24 million. They're now down to about five or something. Well, I would have thought Match of the Day would be an exception to that. It's been such a long-standing, big yeah. uh, programme that I was surprised when the, when the word came out. Of course, the, the, the hilarity, the 
hilarity of realising that more people watched it the day Gary Lineker wasn't on. Yes. It was, it was also quite amusing. But I, I don't know quite how, how, to, how to start with this, but to go back to what I said at the, at the weekend, which is what caused the, the geezers of slime to yeah. be turned on me again, it's a particular left-wing thing to claim to smear conservatives in the modern world mm. as if they were halfway to being Nazis and to yeah. suggest that they're to the Nazis. And I countered this by saying that, in fact, the Nazis were, were left-wing racists. Mm. And it, this, it, it, some people amazingly accused me of trying to excuse the Nazis by saying this, as if by me saying the Nazis were left-wing, you'd think I was saying they were nice. Not, <laughs> not, not what my intention no. was at all. So let's clear that one up for a start. And you also I, spelled out why I they did. were left-wing. I think it's fascinating that the reason why is, is not that they, the Nazi Party's official title was the National Socialist German Workers' Party. I didn't even mention that, because I think you can obviously call yourself by a name which has nothing to do with what you are. Lots yeah. of people do, particularly in advertising. Uh, what I was going on about was the way they actually behaved in practice mm. in a fascinating book by Julia Boyd, which everybody should read, uh, called Travellers in the Third Reich, in which she, she, she quotes very, a very interesting Swiss-German uh, professor who lived in, in Frankfurt and, and obviously able to speak fluently uh, to all his friends, neighbours and colleagues while yeah. he was there and, and noted their complaints. These were middle-class conservative people who said that, in fact, what was happening to them looked very much like communism in disguise. Mm. And it's a fascinating account because it's not... It's, it, most of the, what's said about Nazi Germany is about, is about the obvious, and we, we know the obvious, but the, the actual social policies of the Nazis were not particularly conservative. Mm. They were very anti-family. One of the people quoted was a, a lawyer's wife who said, I, my children have pretty much been stolen from me. I, the, the Nazi party takes them over every evening. Mm. I haven't got them uh, anymore. Family life was disrupted. Christianity was particularly targeted right. as, a, a, as an enemy. These are not the actions of a right-wing no. movement. They're the actions Which is of a, generally pro-family, Yeah, they're certainly not of a, of a conservative movement. Mm. And there are all kinds of other things. You look at the way the, the Nazis got on surprisingly well when they chose to with the communists. There's a famous, to me, uh, incident of the 1933 Berlin tram strike, which is jointly organized by the communist and Nazi trade union organizations. It's an astonishing thing for most people. Mm. And then, of course, the great uh, exercise in collaboration when Stalin and Hitler signed a pact. Now, people say, oh, well, it was just a, uh, Stalin was just by, buying time. It was a pact of convenience. It wasn't. Mm. There was a lot of enthusiasm in it. If you look at the pictures uh, of the of the two, the German and the Soviet generals at Brest-Litovsk when they did the joint victory parade over Poland, they're both beaming away and smiling and laughing at one another. Yeah. They're enjoying their, their, their comradeship. They get on fine. And the NKVD, the, the then Soviet secret police, the ancestor of the KGB, and the Gestapo actually cooperated quite merrily in exchanging prisoners. Mm. And the, it wasn't just a cold, uh, lifeless uh, marriage of convenience. They genuinely got on. They had more in common than people are prepared to accept. And I, I just think this has to be understood. Life is more complicated than it first looked. What is for certain to me 
is that is that conservatism, as I understand it, social and political and moral conservatism, has no connection with Nazism. And this smear, which is constantly lazily mm. levelled against, should stop. And I really thought it was time it was countered. Uh, we can argue about about the government's immigration policy. Fine, I, I'm not necessarily particularly taken with it for for, for a number of reasons. But it would be better but to it, argue about the policy. Argue about it? it on the basis of whether it works. Uh, of, of whether the alternative is less or more compassionate than in, in, in this mad way of saying any attempt to control immigration at all means you're, you're more or less mm. using the language of the Nazis, yeah. which I just don't think is true well, I'm just or civil to... or likely to, to lead to, a, to, to, to the long life of democracy and freedom in this country. No, exactly right. And I'm looking just to see if I can quote directly from it. But, but also, um, Alistair Campbell put out a similar tweet um, at the weekend talking about the BBC getting rid of BBC singers as akin to what the Nazis did to musicians during, you know, Hitler's time in, in power, well, which is know. also a completely gross over-exaggeration. It sounds balmy to me. Well, it is balmy. I, I am, because, I'm very because, much with Alistair Campbell. I think the, the, the closing down of the BBC singers is, a, is an incredibly... Uh, was vandalistic thing. Why, why would you do that? They're an ornament of the corporation and have been, for, they've been so for a hundred years. It's not as if they're so short of money. If they can, they can afford Gary Lineker's salary, they can afford the BBC. Well, you singers. would have thought so. And I, that's, that's an issue on which I'm entirely... But what you wouldn't say, though. But, but to compare it with the Nazis is just nonsensical. If he did that, I would buy, uh, then it needs to be taken up. I well, it isn't extraordinary, isn't it? So what happens to the BBC now? I mean, as I say, I'll, I'll, mention, I'll, I'll tell you the names in which I was... Uh, I was uh, honoured enough to be named with mm -hmm. as those against Gary Lineker's tweets. Suella Braverman, Lee Anderson, Craig McKinley MP, Nadine Dorries and me. Oh, well, there you are. I mean, it's quite a small band. Well, I, 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 I can only say you know, these, <laughs> these, 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 these are the things you have to treasure when they happen. My own view of it is actually I, haven't, I didn't bother to, to express it at the weekend because it seemed to me that it was more important to make the, the, the Nazi point, and I still do think so is that I wouldn't mind the BBC having a very, very prominent uh, footballing commentator who was much loved and widely appreciated and, and had a very big salary for presenting a major programme who had left-wing views, if it also had a matching person who had conservative views. Yes. Uh, but the problem is that you will not find in the, the, the galaxy of BBC favourites anybody remotely equivalent to Gary Lineker who could be said to be mm. on the right. People will say things like Jeremy Clarkson, and I would answer, I'm sorry, I don't think Jeremy Clarkson is a conservative. No. He's just a person who likes cars. Right. And it's a He's also thing. not really on the BBC. And I, much and I, you again, with, uh, Andrew Neil is a Thatcherite liberal. So again, what, what I'm talking about is somebody who, who, who's socially, morally, and politically conservative. There yeah. just isn't anybody like that mm. in any kind of prominent position of the BBC. Gary Lineker gets his social media status, his 8.8 .8 million Twitter followers from being prominent on, on, the, on the BBC. That's mm. how it happens. The one absolute route to social media strength is broadcasting strength. And if the BBC can, by waving its wand, it can give somebody this, this immense power on mm. social media, which Gary Lineker has. It's never given it, as far as I know, to anybody who I would describe as conservative. Can you think of anybody who well, would no. sta stand up on the, in that, who the BBC has ever given prominence to, who stand up and say, well, actually, it's, it's really hard on the poor people of this country to have to cope with the consequences of uncontrolled mass immigration. Mm. Just somebody to say that, for instance. Mm. Well, there isn't anybody with the profile that he has. The only 
other person I think you would get an answer back from if you said to people in the street, you know, name me somebody who's on the BBC. Gary Lineker would always be the first name that came to them, yeah. or possibly David Attenborough, you know. Yes. Um, and, and but he, but, but, it, but it, there isn't really anybody of a similar bent, is and there? If, and if, and if, it was, uh, if, if it wasn't agreed by everybody except me that the, the issue of, uh, of the causes of global warming was a closed one, then David Attenborough has, has, of course, set himself very yeah. much on, on one side. And this, again, a brilliant broadcaster, fantastically uh, good at his job uh, and loved by everybody, but taking a side. And, he, and, and, and with enormous effect, because the BBC has made him such a big person. Yes. But, of course, the left, and, and I'm still looking for this Alistair Campbell tweet, it is there somewhere, there's so much tweeting going on. By That's him. the it's problem. Quite you, you, um, you, 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 he's tweeting you constantly about, tweet surely they should be sacking Lord Sugar, surely they should be sacking um, Richard Sharp as chairman because he's a Tory donor, surely they should be sacking Robbie Gibb because he's a former Conservative um, communications chief who's now in there as well. Well, this, the, 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 this is a, has been the danger for mm. the people calling for the sacking of that and this is why my, my answer is different. My answer to the BBC's problems has for a long time been different. I don't want to shut people up. I, the, obviously, the BBC is full of people. No, I don't either. It was a brilliant radio documentary on, on Saturday night about the late Charles Wheeler, who was a fantastically good uh, television and radio reporter, but obviously a man of the, of, of the quite militant liberal left on many, on many matters. I met him once. He, mm. he chaired a debate in which I was, I was taking part, and he deliberately took the side of the other, the other person and openly said that he was doing it. I was fine. Right. I didn't mind. But Wheeler was a man of the left, and yeah. quite obviously so, and should have been allowed to express that. Yes. As long as there was somebody else reporting mm. from, say, the United States or wherever it was, who took a different right. view. That's what the BBC needs to do, is to do every, every one of the really good working institutions in this country has in its time at its best been adversarial mm. when parliament was at its best it was when it had two political parties at each other's throats who really didn't agree yeah. our courts work because the prosecution and defense have to contest before an independent jury yes our newspapers worked when they did as well as they did because we had the daily mirror on one side and we had the the the, the daily mail on the other yeah. and the telegraph on one side mm. and the guardian on the other battling mm. over the, uh, over ideas. It works. It's by yes. far the best way well, to Andrew get Well, Andrew Neil actually spoke quite interestingly about all of this um, some time ago when he talks about being in America, where American media now, particularly TV, has completely split. So that you've got Fox News over here, um, who are obviously the conservative voice, and then yes. you've got uh, CNBC over here, who are all the liberal voices, but so they don't talk to... You see, the best thing they should one. do is just join together and, and have four people, people around the table who disagree. Pe but people only watch one, and, yeah. and that, that's it. And so the, the, each person is dwelling in his own clothes well, where he never hears an opinion different mm. from his own, in which case you stop thinking. And I, it, I love hearing opinions from, from uh, properly expressed reasonably by people who disagree with me. Yeah. It's how I learn. Well, of course. And, 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 and even if you don't learn, it's far more interesting. It's, to of course talk it's to much people. more interesting. I mean, people now complain... As they, I mean, it's typical sort of radio uh, complaints that, you know, I always used to say when you, when you get a radio job, you, for the first sort of 10 weeks, you get letters from people saying, why have you replaced so-and-so? I yeah. liked him much better than you. And then for a very brief period, you get some letters saying they quite like you. And then after a while, they get sick of you and they send you more letters and say, why don't you just... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Get lost. Um, and so, <laughs> you know... I mean, this is, uh, by the way, I found Alistair Campbell's tweet. Here right, says, we'll Amid the noise, Ray Gary Lineker, another disastrous move by the BBC in response to the Tory government political pressure and cuts, the abolition of BBC singers and cuts to BBC orchestras. This is another resonance with 30s Germany, the assault on culture and the arts. I wonder. I mean, I, I, I don't, it's, it's a very strange thing to say. I'm told that the assault on culture and the arts in Germany was slightly worse because I think they killed all the people who were actually in the. Well, there was the a there was a there was a measure of that, um, sure. But I I I, th- I think that it, as a comparison, it just. But it's just it, an it, it odd just, thing it, to it, say, it, isn't it? it? It's just it, it's it, it, it's absurd. Yeah, it's not blatantly absurd. It doesn't. It, it's it's not the point. The point here is that something culturally valuable is being lost for for reasons of skimping, basically. Mm. Uh, not for reasons of politics or, 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 or race hate, which is what was going on in Germany in the 1930s. Why this comparison? Why is it necessary? I think it's necessary because the, the left fundamentally believe that they are good yeah. and everybody else is bad. When they disagree with you and me, they don't think you're wrong, though they do think we're wrong, mm. they think you're bad. Yes. Uh, and you're, you're, you're bad because you're wrong and you're wrong because you're bad. Yeah. And we have no time whatever to, to, to listen to you and, and we close our ears and our minds when we hear what you say. And how, as I say, as, as I was saying earlier, how a free democracy with a functioning parliament and political system can survive long mm. when a large number of people believe that anybody who disagrees with them is bad, yeah. I do not know. No. And I, we're not going to get the Nazis again, no. but we are certainly going to get some sort of authoritarian state mm. if, 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 if the holding of certain opinions is to be classified as morally yeah. wrong. Absolutely right. Peter, stay with us if you would. Uh, we've got more to talk about. Peter Hitchens is here. We'll be taking your calls later on in the show as well, so make those if you wish. 0344 499 uh, is the number. Um, it's all back to normal at the BBC, apparently. This is Talk TV. Breaking news here on Talk TV. Greta Thunberg apparently has deleted a tweet warning climate change could wipe out humanity unless there is a halt on fossil fuel usage by 2023. I don't know why she's deleted it. Um... Perhaps she's got the date wrong. It's baffling, isn't it? Reminds me of the um, the, the old private eye joke with the man wearing the badge saying, from the World Domination League, wearing the badge saying "World Domination" by 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 nineteen ninety nine crossed out. Yes, twenty nineteen. It, it's it's always sliding into the distance. I think the Prince of Wales, as he then was, now the King, is guilty of some similar predictions. Isn't yes. It? Well, I mean, most of the predictions, rather like the ones from the United Nations Panel on Climate Change, uh, they have to keep moving them on a bit, because I remember reading one from... They wrote in 1989 that basically Canary Wharf would be underwater. There there have been a lot of predictions. By, I think, 2001 or something. Let us just say, and to be absolutely fair and balanced, let us just say that that quite a lot of things have been suggested which turned out not to have happened as fast as would have uh, been said. Yeah, and the great thing is, is that many people who enjoy making predictions will tell you that, well, it'll be right eventually, it'll be right. You know, when the world does end, I will be proved right. And you'll be sorry. 
and there'll be a sort of logical fallacy that they then yeah, really, pursue. I, I just, it just, it, it, it does, it just has, does have the air of of, um, of an apocalyptic um, religion. Yes, it? it really does. Well, have a look at this. This is the latest from Tim, Tim Davy to the staff of the BBC. I want to acknowledge how challenging the last few days have been and to say how grateful I am for all your work during this weekend's disruption. He says it's a very difficult balancing act to get right where people are subject to different contracts and on-air positions and with different audiences and social media profiles. I'm not well, sure that... it was I'm not sure it was that difficult on this occasion actually. No. I think um anybody who listens to um Paddy O'Connell's rather good broadcasting house program on the BBC one of the, the shining lights mm. of BBC Radio on Sunday morning, uh, would have heard Mark Damaser, who's no no right-winger, mm. in, in my view, a, a former um, controller of BBC Radio 4, reading out the specific guideline under which he reckoned Gary Lineker had undoubtedly crossed the line. Yeah. And here you have not... It's not just, it's not just expressing an opinion on, uh, on, on some general argument about transgender issues or something. He was expressing an opinion on a party political matter being debated in Parliament, which is a matter of dispute between the two major parties. Now, here's the point. The BBC has exists, and I, I'm still, I mean, I struggle with this increasingly, but I still try uh, to, to believe it's a good idea. Uh, the BBC has this amazing arrangement under its charter and agreement it gets the most extraordinary form of funding and the freedom to spend mm. in return for this agreement to, to, to be impartial. And it has, therefore, an absolutely binding duty to seek impartiality because only on that basis can it have these, 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 these enormous sacks of gold delivered to its offices every yes. morning of, of, of your money and mine. It has, therefore, to insist on it. It's not, it's not freedom of speech, when, for instance, when, when the king is required to stay out of party politics. Nobody says it's a it's a breach of his freedom of speech. Mm. People understand that he has to stay out of party politics because he's too powerful right. to intervene in it. And it's just a matter of, of, of that some people are too powerful to be able to speak freely. If you have the enormous social media power of Gary Lineker provided by the BBC and mm. basically on the licence fee, you cannot just use it in that way, without endangering the whole the whole basis of the license right. fee, and I, I think it's quite simple on on this occasion. And I, I don't think the BBC should pretend it's been anything other than than, than simple. I think it's a mistake. It plainly, is it, it, it was it was something he shouldn't have done. And as I say, the way to sort it out is not to silence people. No, in my view, the way to, I, I disagree with the idea of, of, of silencing the way to sort it out is to make sure the BBC promotes other voices. Well, who can put indeed. The um, imagine, by the way, has Gary Lineker ever been on a program such as Question Time, a, d a, a debate program? Well, I don't think he has. I've I'd love him. to see well, him yeah. up, up against somebody who could argue the opposite position yeah. on on a on in, in public on on live national TV. I'd love to see yeah. Gary Gary Lineker's ideas tested yeah. against somebody well, who disagreed with him. He's far at, too he's at, far at, too at, clever on the same level. To, to make himself look stupid is what I would say. Because well, you may be right, but this this, this I don't would, think this would he would be, be shown up. This is how you attain balance. Okay, let him say it, but let him let him have his ideas tested yeah. against somebody. Because who whenever that has happened, because Russell Brand did go on Question Time and made a complete fool of himself. Um, as did that guy who used to run um, National Front. Nick Griffin. Yeah, Nick Griffin. Made himself look a complete fool. Oh, and that was the end him. of him. And he was never seen again. Exactly. So, so but, let him try. But even if he comes out well, it would be good to see him actually making his case. So, for instance, what is the, the, his actual offending tweet 
said, didn't it, that the, the words being used were reminiscent of yes, those used in the Germany language, in the yeah. 1930s. Well, what words is he referring yes. to that were used in Germany in the 1930s? Well, I've been asking I'd for be these words. To know what they were. Well, I've been asking Not for these them. words on various shows that I've been debating people about because, of course, the left-wing uh, people that we know, um, that we debate with on a fairly regular basis, they all f file in line behind that kind of thing without having any reason to agree with it because they don't know. They just think, oh, well, this is obviously the right opinion to have, so I'd better have it as well. Well, it, I th it is, if you're going to say something like that mm. to such a large audience with such a big impact, shouldn't you at least be taxed by somebody somewhere in public uh, with the question, what, excuse me, which, which words yeah. are you referring to? Can you please to? show me if, a passage the, of speech? During this whole controversy, nobody who has, who has had access to Gary Lineker, as far as I know, has asked him that question. No. And there's been no sign of an answer to it. No. Because there won't be an answer to it, because there probably isn't anywhere that you can find it. But I've been expecting to see it, and I don't know whether we'll see it tomorrow. You know the Daily Mail probably better than me. Uh, the front page headline that will say, who really runs the BBC? Because I think the answer at the moment would appear to be Gary Lineker. Uh, well, I, mean, I, I, I would always have said the liberal elite run the BBC. But I, <laughs> well, touche. Uh, ever since Hugh Carlton Green was Director General in my in my teens, mm. it's been so. It was a, there was a revolution at the BBC which has never been properly uh, accounted for, mm. quite deliberately done. I think Lineker benefits from this, and I, th I think they 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 value him. But I I doubt very much whether he has the how shall I put it the organisation and political uh, skills to actually run. No, but what I'm saying, I suppose, is that certainly he runs BBC Sports because all the decisions that were made yeah. um, at the weekend were as a result of him, and now, going forward, they will continue to be I'll as a result of him. doesn't run the BBC, and that's the licence fee payers. Yes. And, what, and there is no, they have no access to any, any real way of, uh, of influencing the corporation they pay for. No. Uh, that is, that is the, there, there is absolutely nothing in the BBC structure which allows the... the licence fee payers to have any say. No no council, court, committee or anything anywhere where they're represented in any way where they can say yeah. actually, we, and, and if, you, if you try and complain to the BBC, I think we've discussed this before, basically most complaints bounce off the mm. surface. If you send a complaint to the BBC it's Capita yeah. that deals with it and only if you complain about the complaint do you ever actually touch the, uh, the, the, the actual nervous yes. edge of the BBC. Well we're the only shareholders of a company for which there are no dividends. That's also true, yeah. um, but I, it, it's it, it's it's plainly a, it, there is there is a problem of governance here, which it's difficult for the Conservative Party to solve because people will accuse it of trying to take yeah. over the BBC for its own ends, and uh, in which Labour is apparently not interested. And this is a mistake because again, these great institutions of our country will only survive if the people who run them respect them. And I've known a lot of BBC people who've been very serious about impartiality. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, me too. The, the, but the, the, the numbers of them seem to me to be diminishing. And the numbers willing to say, oh, the heck with it, let's just do that. Well, they famously got rid of a whole yeah. raft of very senior, decent yeah, yeah. journalists yeah. at one swoop. That was the John Burt years, wasn't it, when they just basically yeah. got rid of people who uh, they didn't like very much because they were too yeah, traditional. I, I, I must recommend the, the book about Can We Trust the BBC by my good friend Robin Aitken, which describes very much mm. from, the, from the viewpoint of a BBC staffer who worked as a BBC journalist and who, who experienced this at first hand, mm. just how bad it can be. Uh, and just how shocking it can be, and it's well, well worth reading. Mm, very good.
That's a good recommendation. Peter Hitchens will be back, of course, next week. Thank you very much, Peter. Look forward to seeing you uh, in the mail on Sunday again on Sunday. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about this new uh, defence deal that Rishi Sunak appears to be doing out in San Diego. Philip Ingram joins us. He's a former senior military intelligence officer. Uh, we'll see what he thinks of this particular business that we're in. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through uh, until one o'clock. Of course, Ian Collins then, uh, followed by Vanessa Feltz at four. Jeremy Kyle will be coming to you at seven with Jeremy Kyle live. Um, I will also be there as well. Uh, he'll be on the show later on as well, telling us what he's going to be doing uh, this very evening. Uh, but right now, let's talk to Philip Ingram, former senior military intelligence officer. And the prime minister has insisted that Britain is about to increase its ambitions on defence spending, uh, allocating an extra five billion uh, for the Ministry of Defence. He set out an ambition for it to reach 2.5% of GDP but refused to set a date on exactly how that is going to happen. He's out in San Diego today uh, doing a, a deal with the Australian um, leader Anthony Albanese and President Joe Biden of course is there as well. We'll find out precisely what that actually means for us and what it means for the military in this country. Philip, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean we've heard I suppose quite a lot over the recent years because of not just because of the war in Ukraine, but but generally speaking, that the West as a whole has kind of rode back a bit on its military spending. Um, that looks like it's going to be reversed. Well, it's certainly changing because the threat landscape's changing. Um, you know, the West has has had a significant military spend, you know, outspending Russia, outspending China. You know, America is the, the biggest military spender in the, in the, on the globe. Mm. And so this deal that's being done out in San Diego um, over a submarine um, supply to um, Australia, I think, um, is 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 a new one as well, isn't it? It, it is. You know, the Australians were going to buy some submarines from the French. They were going to buy some diesel electric submarines. Right. Um, but they changed their mind um, after a little bit of British persuasion to go for nuclear-powered submarines uh, because that gives them a much greater reach. And given the pivot of security threats to Southeast Asia and the rise of China, uh, it makes sense that Australia gets a capability that can properly counter um, the threats that are coming in. Mm. And it was a debate between whether it was going to be a UK submarine or a US submarine. And I think they're going for the US one. But it's interesting. The UK is still staying as, as part of the deal. Yeah, I mean, the UK still has um, one of the highest sort of um, profiles, if you like, of, of defence spending in, in the world, doesn't it? I mean, it's still one of the top spending countries. But, but uh, Edward Lucas, writing The Times today, says Britain cannot really sustain a global military role. Is he right about that? No, he's he's not. You know, Britain is today sustaining a global military role. Um, probably not at the levels that um, we would like to do. You know, you look at the um, navy. The navy is um, across the globe at the moment and providing a presence um, and um, active operations. Uh, the the army is primarily focused on Europe, but again is is globally deployed as is the air force. Mm. So it, it's whether we can meet the the emerging global threats. That's the, the the more accurate question. Yes, and I mean I suppose the difficulty for an awful lot of of those in the armed forces in this country is that there's just not very many of them. I mean the the, the number of uh, personnel has been denuded by about thirty or forty thousand, isn't it? Yeah, the the numbers are going down, and you know I think I, I'd argue the mismanagement within the within the Ministry of Defence has led to um, a number of cases where uh, a large proportion of taxpayers' money has been completely and utterly wasted. Mm. You know, the French have got more equipment um, for less money. Um, they've got more people for less money. 
um, there, that suggests that there's something going wrong inside our own Ministry of Defence. Right. And I know there's capabilities that exist that um, uh, in, in defence that just aren't needed moder on the modern battlefield. No, quite. And what do you think those deficiencies are, though, inside the, ma the management of the, of the Ministry of Defence? What are they? Well, I think part of the problem is that um, you know, the senior management within the Ministry of Defence is is not focusing on the future and planning for the future. They're trying to play uh, political games um, today and tomorrow um, and looking after themselves. And, and therefore, they're misbriefing ministers in what is going on. You know, the debacle over the Army's Ajax programme mm. that has supposedly been fixed with um, some new cushions and air defenders. You know, that, that's that's wasted billions. Right. It's wasted. It's potentially wasted more money than um, that five billion that that um, the prime minister has just announced. Mm. And and there's countless programs after programs after programs. You know, the 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 um, HMS Prince of Wales, you know, the uh, aircraft carrier that has gone quiet because it had problems with its propeller shaft. That is a big issue. That's the, that is going to take a lot of defence money to try and fix. Mm. The Ministry of Defence accepted it into service, knowing there was a fault on this. It's it's just wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's hard to believe, isn't it? The amount of money that's spent on these individual sort of pieces of hardware, and they get something so basic, so wrong. You just kind of go, well, how is that possible? You literally had one job. Yeah, and, and again, a lot of the money spent on what I call big green or big grey shiny things that, that look really good and you, you can stick a politician on the top of them and, and, <laughs> and say this this is fantastic. But um, what isn't spent is all the stuff, uh, the, the money that's needed and all the stuff behind that to make mm. sure it works. You know, me uh, from an intelligence background, I was calling out for years for um, a similar capability to we had in the 1980s in Northern Ireland. Um, and I, I never got it. Mm. People were dying because of that. But yeah. it's not a big green or grey shiny thing. So uh, people wouldn't spend the money on this. No, right. And, and because of the amount of aid and, and, and sort of hardware, if you like, that we are giving to Ukraine, um, how much longer will that go on, do you think? And how much longer can it go on? Is it is it sort of until the end? Because the end could be a very long way away. Yeah, I think support to Ukraine can go on to the end and, and it can increase. You know, we've, we've got more that we can give. Um, what it's doing is it's highlighting what's called the defence industrial base and its importance in, in supporting um, uh, conflicts at, the, at this sort of level. And it's a very important lesson to learn at the moment. And I think you know, the, the UK's defence industrial base is beginning to ramp up with um, other um, defence industrial bases in other countries, including uh, America, which is the most important one. Mm. Um, and we will support Ukraine right to the very end. Yeah. And when do you think that end might come, though? Because, I mean, we've seen the Russians sort of up the ante really recently, haven't we? We've seen the expected, the long expected sort of um, new um, offensive starting. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. Well, we, we, we have. I was expecting the Russians to do slightly more than they've done. And, you know, it's all focused on Bakhmut at the moment. And they've been trying to capture Bakhmut for oh, over eight months now and failing miserably. Um, and therefore, th there's not much can happen now that the ground is thawing out and is very, very soft indeed. Um, that plays to the Ukrainians because the Ukrainians are preparing to bring in Western tanks, Western equipment, all the rest of it. As soon as they get that in, I think the Ukrainians are going to start taking big chunks of territory back again. Mm. They have to do it in, in bite-sized chunks because um, uh, otherwise they'll, they'll overface themselves. Uh, I think they might, if they're lucky, get the main part of Ukraine back this year. Uh, it could well go into, into next year, uh, but uh, that won't have touched Crimea. Crimea's next year's problem yeah. at the earliest. Well, that's it. So, I mean, you're saying at least 2024, possibly, um, and maybe the end of 2024 before we know anything. Well, exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it could go on even longer. Unbelievable.
Very difficult story to cover, isn't it? Philip, thanks very much indeed. Philip Ingram, their former senior military intelligence officer, talking to us about the military spend, which is going up in this country, but also um, with the rather, I would say, doomy, uh, gloomy outlook for uh, the Ukraine war, which he says will definitely go until probably the end of 2024, if not longer. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We have sashayed into the afternoon. It is after midday, ladies and gentlemen, and we are still talking, of course, about the big story, the one story uh, in town. And it is not just Gary Lineker, it is the BBC. Uh, there is now some kind of rapprochement which appears to have been made. We brought it to you just after the show began at 10 o'clock. Uh, the BBC board says it welcomes the agreement reached with Gary Lineker. The board welcomes the fact that the executive has reached an agreement following the disruption of the weekend. Impartiality is a cornerstone of the BBC. We believe this is the right time to look at the clarity of the BBC's social media guidance and how it is applied. We will support the executive in its continuing work to ensure the organisation delivers world-class, impartial content for all audiences. Well, um, not everybody sees it that way. And coming up, we're going to speak to Professor Tim Luckhurst, Principal of South College, Durham University, and former BBC News executive. Here's what uh, Devorian says. Um, Gary Lineker bringing up the Nazis in a tweet is acceptable now. The BBC have fallen on their sword, and many now will not respect the BBC and may not pay their licence. Well, that's entirely true. And here's another one here from uh, somebody called Jane who says, Mike, I doubt Gary Lineker and the rest of the pundits will never be impacted by what is going on. Perhaps they should stay with a family who are worried and concerned and live their life for a week. Uh, that's, of course, talking about the issue uh, of the small boats and the refugees and the asylum seekers coming to this country, being put up in hotels in parts of the country where people like Gary Lineker probably never actually go. But let's talk to Professor Tim Luckhurst right here, right now, uh, to see what he makes of it all. Tim, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Michael. Thank you very much. I mean, it's hard to believe this story is still going, but but the BBC seems incapable of making it go away, really. I mean, they've now invented a new sort of uh, reason to investigate themselves, and we're told that they're going to tell us who's going to be in charge of the review. Meantime, uh, Gary Lineker is going to uh, uh, adhere to the guidelines, uh, which he himself, I think, has previously said are a bit confusing. Well, I think that what we've got is the sort of compromise that I've been hoping for all along. Mm. Both sides have managed to save face. Both sides have managed to pretend that they haven't backed down. In fact, they've both backed down a little bit in mm. order to agree a happy compromise. And that's not a bad thing. Right. Gary Lineker is not going to talk about issues of current political controversy. And the BBC is going to conduct a review. I think that review will conclude that all BBC presenters, whether they're in news and current affairs or sport if they're presenting factual programs need to abide by rules of impartiality and in the end that's not a bad thing but it could have been a conclusion that could have been reached a little sooner shall we say well yeah i mean you could have they could have said all of this perhaps on friday couldn't they instead of suspending him and and from what we understand suspending him without telling him first well, I'm not entirely sure how that came about. I suspect it wasn't helped by the fact that the Director General was travelling to New York to speak to BBC staff there. Mm. But it has been an unpleasant controversy. But in the final analysis, what's been concluded is that the BBC does have an obligation to impartiality, that impartiality will come front and centre of everything that it does, and that Gary Lineker, whatever he may say, is going to have to abide by that commitment to impartiality. I note that already he is making comments which do not touch on matters of current political controversy, and he's thanked Tim Davey for his kindness over the weekend. Mm. So essentially, both sides have reached a, a satisfactory compromise. 
compromise. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and I don't disagree with any of that. However, I would say that in his tweet in which he said, uh, you know, one that begins after a surreal few days, he does manage to shoehorn in a reference to uh, the migrants coming here on small boats, which you might argue uh, is a bit of a reference to politics, isn't it? Well, he's done it in such a way as I think to get away with it in terms of the current <laughs> sea rules. He's not talking about the politics. He's talking about compassion and about his joy about Britain being a compassionate country. Well, I'm sure we can all share in that joy. But Gary Lineker has had to recognise that in order to continue to do the job that he does, in my opinion, extremely well as a football commentator and analyst, he's going to have to accept that he is a very high profile figure because he's on the BBC, mm. that BBC is his employer and that he needs very much to abide by its commitment to impartiality, particularly at a time when the BBC is under unprecedented pressure from both sides in British politics. Well, that was what I was going to be my next question, because, I mean, do you think any of this BBC um, impartiality row has been impacted by the fact that, you know, government ministers were being quoted before Gary Lineker was suspended, uh, that, you know, what he had said was, was disgraceful because that was kind of what kick-started what I assume changed their minds because only the day before... Um, Gary Lineker was saying things like, I will not be silenced and I'm looking forward to doing match the day on Saturday. Well, Gary Lineker was saying that. Look, I don't think that Tim Davey responded precisely to comments by Conservative ministers, but there's no question that the BBC is under unprecedented pressure at the moment. This government is looking at the future of the licence fee and whether the government was looking at the future of the licence fee or not, there would be reasons to consider the future of the licence fee because the BBC, like all broadcasters, is affected by streaming services, by the change in the broadcast networks, the change in the broadcast environment. It's a very challenging moment and I don't think that the BBC can ignore that reality or ignore the fact that there is a real pressure from both the Conservative Party and the Labour leadership to ensure that the BBC achieves impartiality. Unfortunately, I don't think the two political parties agree about what impartiality looks like, but that's going to be an, a problem for the BBC yes. going I think that's true. I think a lot of people have struggled with the, the, the principle of impartiality and the principle as well of free speech because they don't quite seem to understand that there is no such thing as unlimited amounts of either of those things, really, um, in and of themselves. But, but the other thing that's interesting as well, and I, th I wonder whether you've heard this because you obviously form a BBC News executive. Um, I was hearing from people at the BBC that they were not happy with Gary Lineker kind of you know, throwing the, the, the corporation under a bus, if you like, by just kind of flaunting his own special status and making out that he's different to everybody else when, when it would be better for the BBC if he wasn't. Well, I think that's not an unfair comment, Mike. Gary Lineker is a very good sports presenter, but he wasn't a great sports presenter when he joined the BBC mm. back in the mid-1990s. I was an editor at Five Live when Gary Lineker joined the BBC. Right. He was a fantastic footballer. He knew a great deal about the game, but he had a huge amount to learn about broadcasting. Mm. And I think that perhaps one of the things that I regret is that Gary Lineker's slightly forgotten for a few days that it was the BBC that made him into a broadcaster and the BBC that gives him a platform which allows him to address a colossal audience. Now, he's very good at it, but he's not a particularly great political analyst and he's not a particularly great historian. And perhaps it would be best if he stuck to doing what he's brilliant at, what the audience appreciates him doing rather than thinking that he has a leading role in British politics because it's not really a great look for a sports presenter. It's not and also and, I, and I'm not one who, who dwells particularly on the, on the on the content of the tweets but but this particular tweet that got him into trouble was a rather ridiculously childlike kind of view of the world wasn't it? Well, I mean, certainly his view of the politics of the 1930s reveals a 
absence of real sophistication on that topic. I mean, to compare any British government mm. since 1945 or indeed since 1939 to what went on in Germany in the 1930s is, I think, yes, genuinely childish. Mm. It's, it's just wrong. It's not true. It's factually inaccurate and it's disproportionate in every possible way. But let's face it. We've gone through that. Gary Lineker has essentially agreed to go back to work. Tim Davey has agreed to a review. It is a sensible compromise, but I hope it's also a lesson. We employ political analysts and great political journalists to do politics. We don't employ people who are doing sport to do that job in their spare time. And in the final analysis, you know, I'm a member of the Free Speech Union, Mike. Mm. I believe absolutely in freedom of speech. Sure. But you do make compromises when you join an organisation and you recognise that your contract, if it rewards you well, requires you to stick by certain rules that organisation sets. The BBC's rules aren't unreasonable. Mm. They're essentially backed by Ofcom, who also regulate you. And yes. I know that you understand that too. Of so Gary's, Gary's perhaps learned a lesson. He's not going to apologise quite as overtly as perhaps he should, but I'm glad he's grateful to the Director General yeah. for Director General's good sense. And what of the others, um, like Ian Wright and Alan Shearer and, and a host of other people, uh, Alex Scott, who didn't turn up for work effectively in sort of retaliation for the uh, suspension of Gary Lineker? I mean, technically speaking, that's an unofficial strike, I would have thought. In any other media organisation, there'd be some form of sanction, I would have thought. But there's no mention of them in any of the statements coming out this morning from the BBC. You're absolutely right, and I don't expect that there will be. I mean, after all, there are two things we can bear in mind. One, the audience for Match of the Day was absolutely colossal, bigger than usual. <laughs> it was awful, though. Did you watch it? it? <laughs> so it was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, the BBC is not going to invite further trouble. I think that his friends backed Gary Lineker, not because they agree particularly with his political mm. views or disagree with those views, but simply because they are friends. It was solidarity amongst friends. And if peace has broken out, I think it would only be a fool at the BBC who sought to exacerbate that problem. Yes. So I don't expect to see Ian Wright or Alan Shearer or, or Alex Scott um, persecuted in mm. any way. And I'm glad that that's the case. I think we should just go ahead and see them come back and do their job and do it well. And I was saying at the weekend, I'm fully expecting, it may even still happen, but if it hadn't been sorted out, I was fully expecting the Daily Mail to have a headline that said, who really runs the BBC? Because I think it's a valid question at this point. Well, that would have been a good question. I think that the issue is quite clear. Yes, the Director General and his senior executives are on the BBC, but equally, yes, they are under absolutely intense pressure from the government of the day and also from the opposition, which thinks that it might well be in government soon. It's a difficult time to be Director General of the BBC. I have a great deal of sympathy for Tim Davey. I think he's working very hard to in a very difficult circumstance. And there are big questions of the, about the future of this great British national institution. It is going to have to change. It is going to have to do perhaps a little bit less than it's currently doing. It is going to have to find a way to fund itself, which probably doesn't rely on a single uniform national licence fee. Mm. I don't know how it's going to solve those things. I hope it solves them well, but it's a difficult time and I wouldn't want to be the Director General of the BBC at the moment. What about the Chairman? Because Richard Sharp's name has been all over uh, the media this weekend, of course, as well, because anyone who uh, was on the Gary Lineker side of the argument was asking, well, how come he's still in a job? Well, that's a question, of course, for the Prime Minister of the day, because Richard Sharp is a prime ministerial appointment, as are all chairmen of the BBC. Um, one could take the view that 
Richard Sharp's appointment is a legacy of Boris Johnson's rather cavalier attitude towards truth and precious national institutions, um, a rather clown-like approach to really important appointments. Mm. But as I say, that's a matter for Rishi Sunak now. It's not a matter for Tim Davey or the BBC because they do not appoint their chairman. Mm. So do you think everything will be sweetness and light then from this moment on? I don't think everything's going to be completely sweetness and light, but I do think that there is a good future... Sorry, forgive That's me, right. Mike. It's my fault for, for asking you one extra question. You see, it wouldn't have well, happened if I hadn't done that. Um, <laughs> it, sorry, I, I mean, I think the BBC has got... It's got over this. It's reached a sensible compromise. It's got a very useful colleague, Gary Lineker, back on side. I hope that things will quieten down, but I think the environment is so violent at the moment, so much polarised, mm. if you like, that we know that the polarisation created by what people call the culture wars is really, really antagonistic to reasoned compromise. Yeah. I'm in favour of reasoned compromise. I think we've got one. And I'd like to think that we don't see sport or the BBC as being a tool in the culture war between left and right. I yeah. would like very much to see that. I'm perhaps too optimistic. If only it could happen. Well, you never know, though. Pigs might fly. Professor Tim Luckhurst, thank you very much indeed. Principal of South College, Durham University, a former BBC News executive there uh, with a very reasoned view, uh, which hasn't been uh, all that uh, prevalent, you'd have to say, over the course of the last few days, because reasoned views are not what people have anymore. They just don't. I don't know why that is. 0344 499 1000. Jeremy Kyle's coming up shortly. We're also going to talk to Adam Coleman, writer for the New York Post. He's going to tell us what he makes of what I think is going to be properly the first official meeting properly as Prime Minister between Rishi Sunak and Joe Biden in the United States. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic with Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on today. Um, fascinating. Some great calls coming in. There's also some very good uh, messages. One from John here in Glasgow. He says, Mike, can you tell me if the BBC have given out Gary Lineker's bank account details just so that I can pay my licence fee straight to him and uh, cut out the middleman? <laughs> That's a great idea. Well, I mean, you might as well, mightn't you? And Phil says this, um, Lineker and, um, uh, and the other refusing it's coming back is a big mistake. The BBC won't recover from. When the tail wags the dog, it all goes wrong. Well, I think that's right. I mean, the difficulty here is that they don't appear to be going to punish anybody who didn't bother turning up for work because they're all uh, out in sympathy with Gary Lineker. I mean, it's the most uh, ridiculous strike I think I've ever heard of. You know, people who make millions and millions of pounds a year striking and not going on the television because their mate has been suspended. I mean, do me a small favour. Unbelievable. We've now got the latest from the BBC website for you, by the way, uh, shortly before we speak to Adam Coleman in the US of A. Uh, this is the new current social media guidelines. Always behave professionally, treating others with respect and courtesy at all times. Follow the BBC's values. Don't bring the BBC into disrepute. If your work requires you to maintain your impartiality, don't express a personal opinion on matters of public policy, politics or controversial subjects, as defined by Ofcom. Don't criticise your colleagues in public. Respect the privacy of the workplace and the confidentiality of internal announcements. Well, I mean, it looks like you've broken quite a few of those, doesn't it? Sorry, I mean, it's not rocket science, this. Let's talk to Adam Coleman, uh, who's got his own football story for us. Uh, but first, Adam, let's talk a bit about Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak meeting up in San Diego. Uh, very good morning to you. Um, I know your clocks have uh, gone forward an hour, so at least uh, I guess it's a bit, a bit later than it normally is in the morning. Um, first time these guys have met on American soil. I think they were at the, one of the G27 meetings in Bali. Um, but uh, it's, it sort of took everybody here slightly by surprise. Um, what do the Americans make of Rishi Sunak? Do they know anything about him? 
Um, unfortunately, one of the things about being American is that you don't really care too much about foreign <laughs> policy. Uh, and I don't know if most Americans know who Rishi Sunak is. So um, I can't really answer that with confidence. But, um, you know, just from people who do know about him, I, I think I think it's kind of up in the air what they really think about him. Mm. Uh, Americans are more so wait and see uh, kind of people. So we want to see you know what this type of leader does um yeah. and how they benefit the, the american public and to some degree um and how they appear for and you know for the people who do pay attention to foreign policy uh how they appear uh, from that lens yeah i mean for most british prime ministers it's always a good idea to go to the white house and have your picture taken there and look as if you're friends with the prime minister with the president of the united states of america but they're not doing right. that they're in san diego at a submarine base <laughs> which is a bit weird to me yeah, uh, basically, they're uh, going to finalize their deal when it comes to the AUKUS pact, uh, which is basically a defense pact that they came up with. Mm. Uh, I believe Boris Johnson was uh, was the prime minister at the time when this was um, when this was developed. But all of this is in response to China. Uh, China has the largest navy in the world. And I think the West has been slow in responding to the growth of China's military and especially China's um China's Navy. Hmm. Um, they have 350 submarines. Uh, I, th I believe it's ships and submarines. The United States has 300. And uh, even talks of it, that 300 number dwindling because of age of some of the, right. the military ships. So this seems more like a pact to somewhat combat China, especially in tense times where China is working together with Russia uh, to some degree. So um, I think that's why China doesn't like this pact. Because uh, obviously this this basically reassures uh, some sort of navy enforcement uh, is coming from uh, a neighboring I want to say somewhat neighboring country like mm. Australia that's right. nearby in the Indo-Pacific. So uh, that's why China's concerned about this. Yes, and I think it is uh, always a good thing to show the Chinese that uh, that the West isn't just going to roll over and allow them to kind of basically sort of you know colonize the entire. Um, Pacific region, which is what I'm told an awful lot of the Chinese military is doing. You know, they'll sort of move right. into a, a South Pacific island and say, we're going to build you this amazing, you know, ferry port. And then before you know where you are, it's suddenly a military installation, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you look around, you go, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, but let's talk about Colin Kaepernick, because uh, we've had our own football drama here with Gary Lineker um, taking time off for match of the day of the weekend. Colin Kaepernick famously is the US football player uh, who originated the taking of the knee. Um, you've written about him in the New York Post um, saying that he's he's kind of making an industry out of himself now. Yeah, basically. Um, you know, he's taken uh, black grievance and he's just expanded on it. Um, and in the article, I, I basically call it imitation racism that mm. he utilizes. Um, you know, we know what racism looks like. We know what overt racism looks like. Uh, but we're in such short supply that people have to manufacture racism stuff where the dynamics look the same, but it's not the same, you know, flavor mm. uh, of racism. So, you know, for him, uh, he, you know, created this or he was part of creating this comic about himself growing up as a kid. And he takes the most um, mundane situations, um, like, for example, how he wants to style his hair. And his mother's saying that it looks unprofessional and he looks like a thug, right. not realizing that, yeah, I've talked to black parents who think the same thing about wearing cornrows. <laughs> well, hair. he's basically accusing like, his, his own parents. There was adoptive parents, I understand, of, of being racist, right. isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's not he's not overtly saying it. 
what he's doing, he's he's leaving breadcrumbs of implications to to insinuate that they're either racist themselves or comfortable in being in a racist society. Um, and I think that's incredibly unfair uh, based off of the evidence that he's giving us. If he was to tell us a story where they were doing things that were overtly racist, and then so be it. If he wants to talk bad about him, then that's what it is. But to me, this seems like um, a stretch. And it's a stretch to basically uh, denigrate the the people who took you in as a toddler, or not even a toddler, he was a baby. Uh, he was five weeks old mm. when they adopted him. Um, raised him his entire life, basically. Uh, and to utilize this opportunity to make some money off of denigrating them, I think, uh, is somewhat despicable. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, and what ha- what is the deal with the taking of the knee there? Because obviously it got adopted by by football players here in the UK. Um, yeah. And they, they've sort of gone off the idea now. They don't do it as much as they used to do it because bizarrely, um, it didn't actually stop racism, funnily enough. I mean, <laughs> incredibly, uh, it didn't do it to make any difference. But do they still do it in the US, in the, in the NFL? Uh, you know what's so funny? I, I, I'm a huge sports fan. I used to watch the NFL, NBA, all of that. During 2020, with all the BLM stuff, the taking of the knee, and, mm. and just identity politics within sports, I literally haven't watched football. The, the, wow. the last football I watched was uh, the Super Bowl, right. and I didn't even know who was playing uh, just before <laughs> it. Um, and that's that's how much politics within sports has just kind of ruined it. Yeah. I'm a huge Premier League fan, and when I saw them doing that, wearing Black Lives Matter on the back of their jerseys, I'm thinking to myself, they have no idea what they're creating no. over there. No. Um, so unfortunately, you guys adapt some of the bad habits that we have yeah. too. Well, happily, it's it's kind of worn off a bit now, but but we shall see. But Adam, yeah. uh, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, that's Adam Coleman, writer for the New York Post, of course, amongst many other places as well. Uh, we always like to talk to Adam about the life and uh, stuff that's going on in the US. You'll be hearing, I'm sure, more later on today because San Diego is seven hours behind right now, so you won't be getting too much news from there, but there will be some, I'm sure, coming in the next few hours over the course of the afternoon with Ian Collins um, and Vanessa Feltz, of course, as well. Jeremy Kyle coming up at 7pm. He's going to tell us what he's doing on his show. Amongst other things, he's going to have me on it for a start. But let me also tell you, uh, you can subscribe to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham podcast. It goes out every single day. Uh, You don't have to miss a moment from the show. All you've got to do is subscribe and download it from wherever you get your podcast. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.